Hi, my name's Matt. I should have introduced myself when I showed up first time around, shouldn't I? I'm Matt. I'm one of the leaders here. I'm really glad you're with us today. And uh, it's my privilege to um, talk us through another section uh, of the Bible. But I wanted to start by asking whether you have ever had um, one of those moments where you feel like you're doing fine. You feel like, in fact, you measure up, um, but then you suddenly discover that you were wrong. You suddenly discover that you've, you've missed something absolutely critical. My, my first driving test was a little bit like that. I failed my first driving test, which is my badge of shame that I wear to this very day. If you failed your first driving test, good company to you. Um, <clears throat> but I thought I was a pretty good driver going in for that driving test. I really did. I could do my three-point turns just fine. Didn't run over anyone when I was reversing around a corner. I could even park parallel um, sometimes. Uh, and I thought I parked fairly well parallel. That's, I thought it was going to be okay. I thought I was going to go home with a pass. But unfortunately for me, my dad had got one of those lovely brown envelopes. You know those brown envelopes you get? And he got one of those brown envelopes and just kind of filed it away in the rack and kind of forgotten about it. And it turns out that was the car tax uh, renewal. And he'd failed to renew the car tax. I showed up for my driving test. The instructor sat in the car and did this kind of pre-check of the car. And he was like, no, sorry, you failed. That's it. Bye now. Go home. I failed right there. Have you ever had one of those moments, right, where you thought you had it together and you thought you were going to make the grade and then all of a sudden there's something critical that you missed, that you discover. Well, we're, we're continuing our journey through Luke's gospel. That is Luke's telling of the story um, of Jesus. And uh, we've been working through it a little bit by little bit, week by week as a church for, for a long time now. I don't care to think how long. A very long time indeed. And we come to a bit today where, uh, where you have one of these moments right at the heart of it. And uh, why not find with me um, Luke chapter 18 and verse 18. Um, Chapter 18, the chapters are the big numbers, and verse 18, verses are the little numbers. That's page 1052, if you've got one of these blue Bibles. Page 1052, Luke 18, 18, and Jemima is going to come and read for us this morning. Luke 18, 18. I read... A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall, commit, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All this I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Thanks very much, Jemima. 
Well, sometimes these Bible stories can feel really quite distant. They can feel quite remote from us, I think. But this one, I've found as I've been looking at this week, really seems far less foreign. In fact, I think we'd see pretty much exactly the same thing happening to us today, to you know, most of the successful, affluent bigwigs of our day. It's pretty easy to imagine Jesus airdropped into the city of London, out on the streets, and a, a suited winner coming up to him, feeling super successful, uh, asking for a top tip. Well, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? That is, what do I need to do to be sure of winning in the world to come, just like I'm winning here? Well, you know the commandments, says Jesus, and he rattles off a list, though it is worth us noticing. That's not the whole of the famous Ten Commandments he's pulled out there by any means. It's just a slice. But he says, you know what being good looks like. He says, you know what it says on the tin. He says, you know the big no-nos, so have you been a good boy? And uh, totally, comes the reply, I've totally been a good boy, uh, anticipating a nice pack on the back and, uh, and a treat maybe. Just one more thing, says Jesus. One teensy-weensy little problem with that for you. And at this point, I think any reasonable person would have their stomach churning. They're like, uh-oh, what is coming my way here? Just one more thing, he says. Um, how, about, how about you go and sell everything and give it to the poor? Ah! It's like a dagger to the heart. And he says, you know, then you'll have treasure in heaven, Jesus says. And, and then he says, you know, come and follow me. It's like it's a killer, isn't it? For the avoidance of doubt, that is not the answer the rich guy was looking for. It's not the answer our suited winner of today would be looking for either. Actually, I think, let's be honest, most of us would struggle with that answer too. Sell Everything? Well, how's that going to work? I mean, what about my retirement if I've sold everything? How am I going to pay the bills? What about dinner tomorrow? If I've gone through the fridge and sold everything in the fridge, what am I having for dinner tomorrow? Can't just let go of everything, Jesus. That is silly. But it's impractical. It's impossible. But hang on, did you notice? There's a little tweak here. Jesus says, you still lack one thing. You still like one thing. Verse 22. And then he gives him three things to do. Sell, give, follow. One thing he lacks, right? Three things to do. What is going on there? Well, he does lack one thing. Jesus is, of course, telling the truth. He's got it right. He's not mistaken or confused. He does lack one thing, but Jesus doesn't tell him straight out what the one thing is. He gives him a three-part diagnostic that is going to show him what the one thing is. But let's press pause right here for a moment. Why don't we have a quick go at running this diagnostic on ourselves? Let's see how this feels to be on the other side of the counter. Just imagine for a minute, that is you right there meeting Jesus in the story. And he turns to look at you and he says, you still lack one thing. And then he asks you for something massive. He asks you for like the hardest, biggest thing you could imagine. What would that be for you? What would Jesus put his finger on for you to cause you that trouble? For this man, it was his riches. It was his stuff. But that is not, that's not all of us. What would put the dagger in like that for you? I want you to close your eyes and think for a minute. What would it be? What's Jesus going to ask for that's really hard? Is it your Xbox? Uh, is it your friend's? Is it your holiday? 
Is it your reputation? Is it, is it your plans for the future? How does it make you feel imagining Jesus asking you to give up something massive? It makes me pretty queasy, honestly. It's quite terrifying, I think. I'm sure there are things Jesus could ask each one of us for that would put us straight into the same spot as that rich ruler. Why does Jesus make this big ask? Well, it's not so much so that the rich ruler can add some more boxes to the list of boxes that he's ticking. That's not really what Jesus is trying to do here. He's not trying to tell us to the ruler, you just need to try a little bit harder, do a little bit better, and it's going to work out for you. He's really giving him a diagnostic to run. He's showing the ruler the one thing that he truly lacks. He's putting his finger on the real problem. And through Jesus' radical call, the rich ruler gets this chance to see his own heart. And ultimately, that's the problem. It's a heart that is unwilling to bow the knee, a heart that won't simply trust and obey, a heart that demands, I'm in charge here, not God. I get to call the shots. That's the one thing the rich ruler lacks is a soft heart that will bow to God as its king. And he's got the answer to his question, how to inherit eternal life, right there. Do you know what you need? You need a different heart. You need a different heart. But instead of embracing that answer, he walks away desperately sad. What does Jesus have to say about all of this? Well, in verse 24, he says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And how hard is that? Well, it's harder than getting a camel through the eye of a needle. Perhaps some of you will have heard this idea that there was a gate called the needle's eye that was really small, but if you tried and you got a camel down on its knees, you could maybe get your camel squeezed through the needle's eye gate. That is not what Jesus is getting at here. He's not trying to say that this is hard. You know, it's kind of like, like getting a flea through the eye of a needle. You could probably do it with tweezers and an awful lot of time, you know, and it's just a bit tricky. He's not saying that it's going to be difficult, even extremely difficult, but at a push you could do it if you got the right angle or if you came with the right approach. That's pretty much the exact opposite of what he's saying here. His crazy picture of getting a camel through the eye of a needle is just what it seems like. It communicates exactly what it says on the tin. This is impossible. No way. Obviously no way. Stupidly obviously no way. Even a child knows that. Even a fool knows that. There's no way anyone would ever think about trying to get a camel through the eye of a needle. It's flat out impossible. That's what his picture is meant to communicate. You can see that. He tells us that in verse 27. What is impossible with man, he says. This is impossible. It's not hard. It's flat out impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Well, bad news for the rich, right? Bad news indeed. Now, we might think, given the guy in view here, And Jesus' particular diagnostic questions for this guy, that it is bad news only for the rich. And so if you're not rich, you're like, but I'm all right. It's them alone who need to worry about Jesus' pronouncement and about this picture of impossibility. 
You might think that, but you would be wrong. Notice in verse 26 how the people listening respond to this. They don't just enjoy getting one up on the rich guy, like I think we probably would do today. You know, nanny nanny poo poo, bad like you. Wouldn't want to be you. Down with the rich. Hooray for the rest of us. Uh, Instead, what do the watching crowd ask? Who then can be saved? That's their question. Well, if this guy can't make it, who can? Now, part of what's playing into that is the, the kind of worldview or the picture uh, in play uh, at the time. Uh, at the time, the understanding was if you're rich, that means that God is smiling on you. You're a recipient of his blessing. He's happy and pleased with you. If God won't let someone in that he's happy and pleased with, well, how's that going to go? But more than that, this guy was a pretty good guy. He was really pretty good. And that wasn't nearly enough. Jesus had just set him an impossibly high bar to jump over. Well, if that's the standard, who can meet it? Right, who then can be saved, they ask. See, the real problem, the problem, the the, the one thing this rich ruler lacks is a heart that will bow to God as king. And that, that is a problem for every single one of us. For him, it was his stuff that held him captive. He couldn't bear to let it go for God. And maybe that is a problem too. Maybe that's not your problem. You find stuff pretty easy to master. But that's not the heart of the matter, right? And we all share this default which says, I'm in charge here, not God. Every heart left to its own devices ultimately says no. It's just a question of when and where and about what. We might get some things right. We might look okay on this axis. We might look okay from the outside, right? All these commandments I've kept since I was a boy. Good boy. But inside, it's another story. Inside, we are all this guy. And that is why it is impossible for us to enter God's kingdom, just like for this rich young man. Bad news. It is impossible. But there is good news here too, right? Because Jesus says what is impossible with man is possible with God. How is it possible with God? Well, through, through heart surgery. The, the Bible tells us elsewhere that God promises to take out our hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh. Now, that is a word picture, of course. Our hearts are fleshy already, but they are deformed. They are twisted. They do lean the wrong way. They draw us away from God rather than back towards him. And yet, even as we have turned our backs on God and walk away from him, he reaches out after us and calls us, come back. He says, acknowledge your hearts are wrong. Ask me to do the impossible, to forgive us, to change us from the inside out. Remember that that diagnostic when he puts his finger? There are things that we don't trust God with, things we value more than him things which are more important to us. That means that we're not on track for inheriting this eternal life. It's a bit like seeing a warning light on the dashboard of your car. You know, something is wrong. Something is not the way it should be, and in the end, it'll be trouble. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm pretty relaxed about warning lights on cars. I figure they kind of come on by themselves, and they go off by themselves, and most of the time, it is nothing at all. But last summer, uh, the battery warning light came on on my car, and uh, I obviously thought, well... It's no big deal. I've got a jump pack in the car. I can jump start at any time. Really not that worried about it. I'll just, um, you know, deal with it. It was going swimmingly until one day I was driving to an appointment uh, around the bypass. And uh, all of a sudden, 
my dashboard started lighting up like the Death Star. It was brilliant. The, the ABS failed. And I was like, well, don't need to slow down. This will be fine. It'll be all right. Um, then, then, then there was a brake problem. I thought, well, that could, be, that could be a little bit more of an issue with no brakes at all. Um, then the dreaded check engine light. Have you ever tried to check an engine? I, you know, you lift the bonnet and you're like, yeah, there's an engine. And you put it back down again. It's like, what are you meant to do? And the check engine light comes on. Um, anyhow, I figured things were getting relatively serious and I probably should go to a garage when I got home or something like that. And then at that point, the throttle stopped working altogether. I didn't realize, but I had a drive-by-wire car and the throttle wasn't physically connected to the engine. It relied on the battery to work. Uh, so I pushed the, pushed the pedal, no dice. And then I discovered that the power steering had shut down. And so I was trying to kind of drag the car while it was crawling to a home over into the side of the road. It was like... Uh, it's hard to turn the wheels in the right direction without that. What's the lesson here? Don't ignore the warning light, right? It might not burst into flames right away, but, but there is something wrong. And when Jesus gives us these diagnostic moments, right? For this man, it was a catalytic conversation. It was a moment with Jesus. But in our lives, we run into different moments that show us there is something wrong here. I'm not okay. Things aren't going the way this. I can't do quite what I want. This isn't working. When we have those diagnostic moments, don't ignore the warning light. When we discover, when he challenges us to follow him more closely, actually we'd rather not, thanks very much. Well, don't ignore that warning light. Our hearts aren't right. They're failing. It's just a matter of time. But then we have to understand we can't fix it. It's, it's like the check engine light. Well, to be honest, it's like pretty much anything to do with cars for me, or way beyond me. I mean, that's the problem with our hearts. It's way beyond our ability to deal with. We can't just kind of you know, polish the outside a little bit more, fix the things we can fix, and think it's going to be okay. One day it's going to come to a head. It's like there's a huge product recall on every heart. We have to bring them back to the manufacturer for a fix. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, this is the thing that Jesus has been trying to tell us. You can't fix this. You can't make it. You can't manage. You can't do this. We're broken in a fundamental way, and it's only when we bring that back to God and admit the mess we're in, admit the mess we've made, that we can start to find uh, a way ahead. And so I've got to ask you this morning whether you have done that, whether you've told God you know you haven't made the grade. Whether you've told God, you know you're not right. Whether you've told God, you know you need his forgiveness on the one hand and his rewiring on the other. He's so much better than any garage. He's open 24 by 7, 365 days a year. You don't need an appointment. There's nobody in front of you in the queue. You just have to ask. Um, it is not complicated but if you'd like somebody to walk with you through that step, if you're ready to take that step and you'd like somebody to go with you, why not ask the person you came with? Why not ask the person next to you? Chances are they would love to help you. Uh, or you can ask Ewan or me. We'd love to do that too. But don't ignore that warning light. What about if you'd already call yourself a follower of Jesus here today? What does the section have to say to you? It says, follow his call. When we had a go at imagining Jesus' diagnostic question tailored to us, how that might feel, if you're anything like me, I expect you found actually you're pretty attached to things still. Maybe it's different things 
but it's things still. He gave the rich ruler a window into his heart. gives us a window into our own hearts too. And we are still a mixed bag as followers of Jesus. God's heart surgery is once for all in one way. And in another way, it is a lifetime of progress that we're still living through. Often we're held back. Sometimes it can even feel like we are trapped by things, by things that can seem so precious, things that hold us back from following God where he would have us go. Now, Peter's outburst at the end of this passage gives Jesus the opportunity to make a bold promise, and that's what I want us to reflect on today. It's one that should encourage us into really greater adventures. We have left all we had to follow you, Peter exclaims. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who's left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. See, Peter has done, this guy Peter, if you read the story through, it's back in Luke chapter five. Peter has done what the rich ruler wouldn't. Uh, Well, the rich ruler couldn't. Peter has left everything and followed Jesus. It's a brilliant contrast to this story. He steps out in faith. He leaves behind what's precious to him, where we so often struggle with it. Peter has left behind. He says quite literally his whole life. And he's wondering, is this going to be worth it? Is it worth it, this following Jesus thing? Is is, is this risk really going to pay off? Jesus' statement is strong. It doesn't leave any room for doubt in this. Following Jesus often means letting go of things. Right? Often means letting go of things that are really deeply precious to us. But it never leaves us poorer for it. Here Jesus talks about relationships that you might have to give up to follow him. That's costly. He talks about home that you might have to give up to follow him. That is truly costly. But he promises in following him you'll find you receive many times as much. That's a big promise, right? It's not equal It's not close but no banana. It is many times as much. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's many times as much in this age. And under the water is in the life to come. So much bigger. Eternal life. Life forever. That's the reason it is truly worth anything and everything to follow Jesus. You just can't outgive him. You never lose by following Jesus. That is impossible. So if you're a Jesus follower here, why not take some time to reflect on the things you are finding hard to let go in this season of your life? What's holding you back just now? And does that make sense given the scale of Jesus' promise to you here? Is there a new adventure he might be calling you to instead? What we're going to do is take 60 seconds just now to reflect And what we've talked about today, quietly by yourself, is there something you want to change? There's something you want to do? Is there something you want to reflect on? And then in 60 seconds, I'll pray.
Let's pray. Jesus, thank you um, that even though this is impossible with man, it's possible for you. Uh, Please would you put your finger on things that show us where we are astray from you, where we are not ready to fully follow you. Please would you help us see that that links to our hearts. Please would you change our hearts. Please would you bring us into that freedom that you're talking about here from these things holding us back that you want us to come into because we will find so much more blessing there and ultimately life with you forever. Please help us to see how um, low value the things are that hold us back compared to the unsurpassable value of the things that you promise us. I pray for those who have never come to you and brought their broken heart to you for mending. And Lord, I pray they would do that today. I thank you that you are always open and ready to do that. Pray for us who need to come back to you again and say, we've gone off track. We've held things tight. We've not been willing to let go and we want to change. Please would you help us to change. Lord, please be at work among us um, by your Holy Spirit through your word. Please help us to not go away the same. Amen.